Welcome back to the Leading Inclusively podcast. I'm your host, Denise Hummel, and my guest today is Julie Carrier. And Julie, I don't know if you know this, but this is literally the first recorded podcast under the new branding of RevWork, which is at, you know our growth company. And so yeah. Leading Inclusively is now actually a division of RevWork, which is very exciting. That is. And we're keeping the title so far. It looks like RevWork will keep the title Leading Inclusively because it encompasses such a wide variety of necessary, um, you know, behaviors and, and coaching and assistance to leaders. So we'll see how that goes. But right now, um, you are literally the first on the RevWork branding. So welcome. Thank you. Um, and to our audience, Julie is a best-selling author, speaker, and trusted authority on leadership development and confidence for young women. Julie's authored several books on the topic, including the number one bestseller, Girls Lead, She's featured in Insights and Coaching's Chicken Soup for the Soul and the number one New York Times bestseller, The Success Principles. And she's even appeared as a confidence coach for MTV's positive goal-setting show, Made. Julie, welcome. Denise, thank you so much for having me. I admire you and your work so much. It's an honor to be here today. Well, this is going to be a, a heck of a lot of fun. I <laughs> want everybody to know that Julie um, is also in Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches, as am I. That's why I have the joy of knowing her. What, what a treat it has been um, to meet you. She was recognized, by the way, by, by Marshall Goldsmith as the world's top uh leadership thinker and executive coach um, relative to um, coaching for young women. So if you're out there and you're female, if you're out there and you're young, God, am I jealous? No, that's not what I wanted to say. <laughs> what I wanted to say is you're in for a treat, as are the rest of us, because uh, we are all uh, young at heart and we all came up through the ranks of being young women, those of those listeners out there that are happen to be female. A fellow at the Institute of Coaching at Harvard Medical School, Julie specializes in applied neuroscience and leadership education, leveraging a powerful brain-based framework that she designed in her consulting for organizations in order to facilitate powerful transformational learning in a short time. So of course, you all of you out there who know that um, my degree is in uh, behavioral and organizational psychology from Columbia University. Of course, I'm going to be all over this. And, <laughs> and Julie, as you probably know, um, my, my, my background in that regard is front and center right now as we make this transition to rev work and try to use those very principles to change leadership behavior, to sustain the good behavior, to create new habits. So it's going to be especially interesting to have you on at this mm -hmm. point in time. So I'm going to start, if you don't mind, Julie, I, uh, you know, I absolutely love the work you're doing. Uh, I love that you're inspiring confidence in young women. And it's obvious from knowing you that, and, and just from following your work, that there is an intense amount of passion behind what you do. And I think it would be a great place to start uh, to ask you, if you're willing, of course, mm -hmm. to share your story and, and what drives and inspires you and your work. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that because I, a tendency that we have as women is when we see other people, whether it's speakers or authors on stage or at book signings, we think, wow, their life has always been this way. They've always been super confident. And for me, that was not even close to the truth. When I was younger, I actually struggled with crippling anxiety and self-doubt, bullying, a whole host of other things. And I literally wouldn't even raise my hand to speak up in class. 
Wow. And uh, one particular moment, I call it a peak experience, changed everything for me in high school. And this is why I do what I do now. And in fact, it started with a dare. My good friend at the time, Carrie, she dared me to run for office for our vice presidency position for our school. And mind you, as someone who had a high squeaky voice with a growth disorder, who felt like an outsider, like I would never fit in, that was like the furthest thing that I would ever attempted to, you know, have attempted to do on my own. And so she said, in fact, Julie, to really make this real, I'm going to run for president and you've got to run for vice president. So we both knew there was no chance either of us would win. We were terrified. We were so nervous, but we did it anyway. And what was interesting is on the day of the elections, they accidentally left my name off the ballot. So I was like, oh man, there we go again, all that work for nothing. And at the end of the day, they said, if you want to vote for Julie, you have to write her name in. So at the very end of the day, they counted up all the ballots and much to my surprise, I won. And my friend also won as well. And no something shifted in my mind. I thought, wait a minute here, I was terrified. I thought I was the furthest person qualified to do this job and I ended up getting elected. And in fact, it gave me a lot of confidence to do things I wouldn't normally do. And it started to shift this mindset that the actually the feeling of confidence is not an accurate predictor of your success. You actually have to feel the fear and do it anyway. And oh, by the way, confidence is gonna show up after. So it, it created this framework that helped me get super passionate about what is confidence? How do we actually grow and develop it? And if I could go from someone who couldn't raise my hand in class to speaking on stages, I think the largest audience was, it was an amphitheater, 70,000 people. I think anyone can learn confidence. It's actually a learned skill. Well, it's so interesting. First of all, I mean, I, I, someone famous said, you know, that, that courage is, is not you know, that you're not afraid. It is that you are afraid and do it anyway. Who said yeah. that? <laughs> I don't remember, but somebody yeah. very important and famous. You know, one, one of the things that, that strikes me as, I mean, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I, this is shocking to me because of course you're so accomplished, you're so beautiful. And I don't know what the, the, the growth disorder thing is, but I always consider you to be tall. Now, of course, you might wear, you know, really high heels for all I know. <laughs> but in a million years, if you had said to me, um, oh, yeah, you know, when I was young, I was younger, I should say, I was suffering from anxiety or I was suffering from, you know, low self-esteem or lack of confidence, I would not have guessed that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I, I did fix my growth disorder. So actually my- well, That's why, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I am a lot taller now. Okay. But what, what it, the blessing of that whole experience is it really helped me go from what most people believe, which is you're either born with confidence or you're not. Right. So this idea that actually confidence is a learned skill. It is something you can grow at and get better at over time. Is that true even if you're an introvert? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. Because I've I've had uh, very interesting uh, conversations uh, with your with your husband Bill about this subject, and he actually has helped me. Everybody thinks that I'm an extrovert because I'm always on stage and you know in front of large audiences doing various different things and speaking with the press, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so everybody thinks I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. So it's 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 this whole topic is fascinating to me for a number um, of reasons, but. In particular, would you mind um, giving me a sense for the correlation between confidence uh, and gender? In other words, why, why is it necessary to have a champion like you to help young women to reach levels of confidence that maybe come naturally to men? 
here's what's interesting is research shows this, and a lot of people are surprised that there actually is a genuine confidence gap. Now, women aren't surprised by that, but a lot of men are. Research actually shows that confidence gap starts right around age 12. And unless there is an effective way of teaching that young person or, or supporting that young person with learning the skills of confidence, that confidence gap just continues to increase into adulthood. So for example, I mean, there's so much research on this topic right now, but to give you one example, the University of California did a study where they had women and men rate their assessment of their performance and their capabilities. And of course, they found a lot of men actually overrated their performance and abilities, and the majority of women underrated their performance and abilities. Now, the challenge with that is uh, lack of confidence correlates with inaction. So it's not just this idea of underrating our performance and abilities. It's actually that underappreciation of who we are as women correlates to us not asking for that job interview or not going for that raise or not raising our hand in the boardroom. So there's, there's a lot of research that shows that the gap does exist. Now, the good news is there are ways to easily close that gap. Okay, so, so what, yeah, okay, so I, of course, you know what I'm gonna ask you next, right? <laughs> yeah. I want some tips and tricks. I mean, I wanna know if I, if I had the opportunity to talk to a 12-year-old girl mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, in a way that could potentially change her life, what are some of the tips and tricks I would tell her to sort of, move her in the right direction in terms of confidence. And so if I'm working with girls or I'm working with young women or women, my approach might be a little bit different. But for both, I like to share this quote, which essentially summarizes hundreds and hundreds of pages of research on confidence and courage. And it's this, fear knocked, courage answered, then confidence arrived and success showed up. And it has to happen in that order. Basically, the way to feel confident is to practice courage. Anytime, and according to neuroscience, we can break it down in a little bit. The way our brains are wired is there's a part of our brain known as the default mode network. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this. Most people haven't. That's why I'm such a, a champion of getting this word out. Because when people understand the science of self-confidence, which is really starting with the science of self-doubt, why do we doubt ourselves? And we understand how the brain works. You can harness your own power to get your life back. So would you like me to talk a little bit about the default mode? Network? I would. Thank I you. Would. Yeah, I will, I will just say I love to geek out in this subject. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because it did change my life in such a significant way. And what was interesting is I was teaching it to young women. And in fact, they found it was so transformative. I started teaching it to women as well. So this idea when you really internalize it and understand it, it allows us as women to get our power back. So in our brain, as I mentioned, there's an old, outdated part of our brain that runs software that's essentially equivalent to the prehistoric era. So it's called the default mode network. And the default mode network, if I were to kind of summarize it, it's a co-activated set of brain regions that basically gets triggered or activated when we're not consciously focused on a task. And I also like to summarize it even more easily. It's like a network of friends that thinks that they're helping you by giving you terrible advice. So <laughs> the way the default mode network works is anytime you step outside your comfort zone, it actually creates something called automatic negative chatter. So what we've been taught as women to say is negative self-talk. It's actually not you at all. It's not where, did, where does that come from? 
Yeah, so the negative self-talk is actually generated by the default mode network. So when we step outside our comfort zone, it is a natural human reaction to have self-doubt, to have actually automatic negative chatter. Now the secret sauce here is when you understand that part of being human is when you step outside your comfort zone, you're going to feel less than, or you're going to feel like you're not going to succeed, and you know it's automatic negative chatter, and you distance that voice from who you are through an exercise we can talk about in a moment, you actually have a lot more authority and confidence, and that automatic negative chatter tends to quiet quite a bit. So are you saying that men don't do that and women do? No, men do that, but the thing is if you combine that automatic negative chatter with the the tremendous amount of socialization for women that requires us to be perfect in our minds in order to be loved or valuable, that is a, a dramatically terrible combination. So men actually have the default mode network, but because they're not as socialized to have to be perfect to be valuable, it doesn't have the same amount of consequence. So because they, they just ignore it. They see it as, you know, possibly being normal and then just moving on. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah. So just to give you a kind of a different frame, we're talking about a lot of interesting subjects here. Girls are socialized to win in the classroom, but unfortunately that means they lose in the boardroom. They're socialized to get the perfect score. They're socialized to do people pleasing, to be perfectionist. Boys on the other hand are socialized to, hey, if you fall down, get back up. If you succeed, great. If you don't, then try again. The, the challenge is we as women, this isn't about saying women, you are wrong. There's something uh, that you have to work on because you're insufficient. This is about recognizing a socialized tendency to have less confidence because we're combining that automatic negative chatter with that belief we have to be perfect. So you're bringing me way back to childhood where I can now visualize with my brother came in, you know, whining about a skin knee. They would, you know, my dad would tell him to rub dirt on it or drink a <laughs> glass of water. Yeah. And if I would do the same, everybody would be like, oh, poor baby, you know, look at this cute little girl that's hurt. I didn't, I just never even thought of it that way. Yeah. So you know, it's not, it's not even evil intentioned in no, any way. <laughs> it's not. It's the, the confidence gap exists, in my opinion, because of socialization um, from a young age. And so boys have a lot more practice, practice and confidence. We just need to help women also have that opportunity by reframing the conversations that are going on in their mind. So I'm curious, um, you know, Julie, I know you know a lot about our work, which also uses the neuroscience of behavior change and habit formation, mm -hmm. um, different aspects of it. So, you know, setting the context for, for learning um, is one of the aspects that's incorporated in our app, as well as the ability to practice behaviors in real time, as well as the ability to reflect, which are all part of habit formation. Mm -hmm. Are there any of those elements that that women can use to sort of reinforce any of the the changes or way of thinking about this that 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 you espouse? Well, the beauty of what you and your program does is it gives people a template on how they can effectively navigate different situations. So what you're actually doing, so the default mode network is really only active in healthy adult brains when you're not actively consciously focused on a task. So if you ever had the experience where you had a huge project, and I know a lot of women have, where they kept worrying about it and worrying about it, when they finally took action, they were like, what was the big deal? This was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. So what's happening is you're shifting on the task positive network 
which shuts off the default mode network. So what you're actually doing, and you know this already, is you're basically giving that person's mind something to consciously focus on that's a template on how to effectively navigate a situation. So by, by normal reaction, it's shutting off the default mode and you're actually activating the task positive network. Um, and I'm just, uh, I'm just curious in, in terms of, uh, you know, neurological terms, when you talk about the default mode network, is that, is that prefrontal cortex? What is that? What part yeah. of the brain is that? So there's actually, it's a, it's a, a network. So there's actually quite a few different parts of the brain regions that are co-activated. That includes the cingulate gyrus that is also considered the worry wart part of the brain. So it is not the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex, actually, when the prefrontal cortex is activated, it helps to shut off the default mode. Okay. So in non, in non-technical terms, now that we have the technical <laughs> terms down, down pat in non-technical terms, what is the actual process that a, that a young woman should go through when they start to feel this sense of inadequacy or lack of confidence or what have you, what are, what, what are some of the, the things that they can actually do to, to shut off that self doubt and turn on whatever else it is that's going to lead to confidence and good performance? Absolutely. So there's two different answers to that. One is more of a macro perspective. The other one's a micro. Uh, which one would you like me to give you first? Your call. Of course, okay. we're going to want both. But... <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll start off on the micros. So many of us have heard this idea that the best way to overcome procrastination is to say, you know what, I'm going to take action on this scary big project, but I'm just going to do it for two minutes. And what normally happens, you start up the project for that two minutes and then you feel more at ease and then you keep working and you actually get it done. That would be my recommendation. If you have something big and scary or something you're putting off or a conversation that's important to be had, my recommendation is choose what's the smallest, tiniest action that you can do. One that seems almost so easy you wouldn't even consider it and put that on your to-do list and do it now. The second you start to take action, you're shifting the balance of power in your mind. That task positive network is going to take over. It's going to feel a lot easier. Okay. So for example, I've been told for years that I should meditate. I have never been able to do it because it just seems like too big a task. And then a friend of mine recently said, just here's a, here's a, you know, it just happens to be this this uh, you know on meditation that requires eight minutes of my life, uh, and it was such a micro action and such a little thing to 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 call upon that it shifted my behavior even ever so slightly to achieve the benefits and to kind of see what it's like to do this to encourage me for the you know potentially a broader action that might be hold on to your seat a whole 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The principle is exactly the same. And I would even say if someone's really terrified of a huge project, choose something that takes 30 seconds or a minute. And that usually is enough to start to shift that person out of fear and shift them more into a place of solidity, solidity with more confidence. Uh, the macro one, this is my favorite exercise. I actually teach this in my keynotes uh, or my workshops. And this one is simple, but and it sounds silly. I, I want to let people know originally their own like default mode network will put up a block against this exercise because it will dismiss it and judge it as too uh, easy. This is actually amazing research by Dr. Carol Dweck out of the University of Stanford. And uh, basically what it says is we need to take action and externalizing that voice, knowing that that default mode network 
that automatic negative chatter is not who we are. So the first step is to visualize her as a separate person. Now, not someone that's like scary and mean, just someone like that's like a well-intentioned friend that just doesn't know any better. So when I visualize what my default mode network avatar is, I see this um, super tall woman wearing this long black pencil skirt and like this perfect blouse with like perfect makeup. And she's got this clipboard and a judgy face and she's trying to check off all the things that I'm doing wrong. Uh, so that's my vision of her. Uh, it's even more, like the more you can envision it, the better. Then you want to name it to tame it. So you just don't want to envision her. You want to give her a name, give her a separate entity. So my default mode network, now here's the hilarious thing. When people are perfectionists, they will put off doing this activity because they're like, oh, I don't know what the perfect name for her is. No, just give her a name. <laughs> Mine is Vitriolica. So my, my good uh, friend who just tries to help me but doesn't know any better, her name is Vitriolica. And when, uh, yeah. <laughs> so whenever, here's the rest of the exercise, whenever I'm starting to feel anxious or concerned or worried about something where I'm stepping outside my comfort zone, I'm like, okay, emotions are correlated usually with thoughts. So what is vitriolica telling me right now that's causing me to feel this way? And then basically what you do is you have an internal dialogue with that part of your brain, with vitriolica in my case, and you say, look, I just want you to know I appreciate you looking out for me. I know you're trying to keep me safe by keeping me small, but I got this. I need you to sit this one out. And it's fascinating how that, that simple technique works. You have a conversation, a loving conversation with that part of your brain that just doesn't know any better. That is a great uh I don't know whether to call it an analogy. It's really, I mean, it's more, way more than an analogy. It's, 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 I mean, you're actually, you're, you're creating another persona and, and, and rejecting them in a nice loving way. So that is fascinating. Uh, really fascinating. Um, you know, one of the things that occurs to me and, and what's interesting about this, if you, you might remember, we had originally thought we'd, we'd be recording this podcast on April 6th. Uh, at that time, we had sur surpassed about 1 million COVID-19 cases. I asked the team to update those statistics because here we are, it's, you know, over a month later, we're not, we now have surpassed 3 million, just to get, put this in perspective, uh, you know, with new waves of unemployment, you know, stock market issues, et cetera. What, this is not to be gloom and doom, okay? Yeah. Now, it, it's just to accept the fact that, there is a there is a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety, and I would think, particularly with young people, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I have I have savings. I'm I'm at a stage in my career where I'm not concerned. I you know I own my own business, et cetera. There are plenty of women who are just starting off, and they are really worried, and and mm -hmm. and, and and some of them are even frightened mm -hmm. about the current times uh, that that we're in. Are there ways we can apply this science of confidence to, to what they're experiencing in, in, in these difficult times? Absolutely. I think there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. I think that we also want to be aware that it is normal during this time. There's no template on how to feel. So there are a lot of emotions coming up for people that are uncertainty and fear and anxiety or anger to give give yourself space to healthfully process those emotions if it's a younger person i say you've got to feel your feels in order to let those out so understanding that that heightened anxiety is normal 
What is not normal though, is part of what's happening in our, our young generation, and actually for many people, is this uncertainty is creating a desire to know more. And that can correlate with a lot of consumption of news media. Now we know news media is very important, but in moderation. So I say practice social distancing from negative news. And it's not about being uninformed, it's about protecting your mind and your mindset and making sure not to keep hijacking your sympathetic nervous system. Because if someone's, it's called the reiteration effect, if someone's constantly watching negative, really emotionally charged news media, that person subconsciously is putting themselves in a serious fight or flight state. And that's where a lot of that paralysis comes from, like feeling like they can't do anything. So social distancing from the news media. The second thing I would recommend is the antidote for a lot of those heavier emotions actually comes from gratitude and generosity. And so taking time to practice gratitude, call the people that you're grateful for, and do a random act of kindness or a small kindness for someone you don't know or a neighbor. The brain is really wired for kindness. So doing a small act of kindness is enough to usually shift some, so someone out of fight or flight and into a, a state of more solidity and peace. It's so funny that you should use the term random act of kindness because it happens to be one of the one of the features on on the uh, behavior change app it is oh. a, a random act of whatever of inclusion of yeah. yeah yeah so I'm I'm glad to 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 hear you say that it just kind of you know reinforces what we've tried to establish mm-hmm. um, okay uh, so I, I would uh, um, anticipate that you have your own unique perspectives on the future of female leadership development. Are you seeing any trends? Are you forecasting anything? Do you, um, you know, are you in, in, in anticipating anything that you're either excited about or concerned about? Or what, what are you thinking? Yeah, you know, actually, this is a very exciting time. I recently um, partnered with an extraordinary principal who decided to start a brand new school from scratch. And it's a girl's school. And she said, you know, I find, again, that girls are winning in the classroom, but losing in the boardroom. So I think we really need to figure out how do we intentionally work with young women to teach them confidence, leadership development, a lot of those core skills that they're going to need to succeed in, in life, not just in school. And what we found, we're in our pilot year two of this school. So just like girls go to math and science class, they go to an applied neuroscience leadership class. And these girls, they're the most confident young women that I have ever seen. And what I, what I really was so excited to see and what research had told us is that by taking time to do intentional leader development at a younger age, it has dramatic outcomes on girls' perceptions of leadership, a girls' abilities to be confident and to act and behave in a way that are in alignment with those. So I am super excited. Intentional leadership development for young women, I think is the most important, newest frontier in leader development. Are you, are you permitted to tell our, uh, the people that are listening out there the name of the school? Yeah, it's actually Malden Catholic School for Girls. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so tell me more about this. Now, you've used this phrase now twice uh, about winning in the classroom and losing in the boardroom. Why are young women winning in the classroom, number one? And why are they losing in the boardroom, number two? What happens between the classroom and the boardroom that's, mm-hmm. that, that's getting in the way? That's a great question. And in fact, to summarize uh, Dr. Carol Dweck, who's done a lot of work in this space, she said if the world was one big elementary school, women would rule the world. And that's really to say how women have been socialized. 
and not to offend anyone, but the reality is a lot of our girls, myself included, were raised to be people-pleasing perfectionists. And boys were raised to uh, be assertive, to take action, to fall down, to get back up. And so when we take that into school, that's reinforced for girls. Oh, get that perfect grade. Aren't you wonderful? Gosh, you spent 20 hours studying for a test that you know, we really only needed to study for 10 hours. Wow, good for you. So it's not about telling girls they shouldn't try, but it's about helping girls understand that their worth doesn't come from their ability to be perfect, that they actually have inherent self-worth and inherent um, worthiness. They don't need to hustle for worthiness. They already have value. When we help girls to understand that they're inherently valuable, that gives them the ultimate self-confidence to really step outside their comfort zone. So why is it important to teach girls leadership and confidence? Because we're having to go against years of socialized tendencies that are putting girls in a box called perfection, where they don't feel comfortable stepping outside of it because they think they're going to be worth less. You know, what strikes me about what you said is uh, in terms of entrepreneurship, it is absolutely vital to fail. Um, fail to some extent equals success because if you're able to recognize it, embrace it, figure it out, you're not going to make the same mistakes, number one. And number two, most of the mistakes when you're an entrepreneur inform your success. Mm -hmm. And it, it occurs to me based on what you said that if, if young women are not able to see it that way, in other words, if they have to be, uh, perf you know, perfect. Um, they are going to be in tough shape when it comes to being entrepreneurs and having what it takes to take an innovative thought and then scale it into, you know, a winning idea. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I mean, it just strikes me just how important it, it is to, for, for them to get rid of uh, that sense that being perfect is what makes us uh, valuable and, and in effect could actually be the opposite of, um, of success. A hundred percent. I think we need to, we need to really flip the script and say, wow, you know what you, you deserve to grow and learn. And the way you grow and learn is by putting yourself in new and exciting um, opportunities that are going to make you feel scared. And if you don't succeed, that's okay. Learn from it and do better next time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, this is this is really really informative. I'm wondering um, if there's any sort of. I mean, I could talk to you all day, but is there any sort of um, sort of closing thoughts that you want to leave our uh, listeners with? Mm, okay, that's a good good kind of final question here. I think people ask, you know, well, what is confidence? And I think sometimes confidence is misinterpreted as arrogance authentic confidence is your belief in your ability to get something done or to achieve an outcome. That's great. And it's very important. However, self-confidence is your belief in yourself. And I think where the biggest confidence gap exists, it's not necessarily in confidence where it, it does happen, but it's in this idea of self-confidence. How do we effectively equip and encourage young women to know that regardless of whatever they try and succeed at or they try and fail at, that their worth is inherently intrinsic and it doesn't change? That is where real power comes from. So I think that, and it's not an always an easy thing to do. Self-confidence, I think, needs to be one of the biggest focus areas for young women and women leaders. 
I love that. Thanks so much, Julie. I, I want to thank everybody for tuning in with us today. And of course, especially uh, Julie. Julie Carrier, that was really quite a gift. Um, I am Denise Hummel, and this is the Leading Inclusively podcast series. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please feel free to leave a rating and review. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss future episodes. In the meantime, I'm going to say goodbye to Julie. She's around if you need her. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much, Denise. You are a world changer, changing so many lives. And I, I value so much how you help others lead inclusively. Thank you so much.